Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. The operable windows was a, a feature that had gotten VE out of the project, and then COVID hit, and it was put back into the project after COVID or during COVID. And so that was, you know, obviously something that goes towards the air quality of the building. And we were really excited that we were able to add that back as a feature. The architecture weaves together. And this building is about weaving people together, ideas together, and people from all different kinds of businesses coming together. So that was our inspiration for that. and. It took a lot to make sure that was followed through and it needed to be rigorous and it needed to have buy-in from the whole team to get it actually realized. But I think we got there. This is Detailed. An original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guests today are Jill Trailer, Principal Slash Director of Interior Design, and Tyler Guidros, Associate Slash Architect at SQ Dumez Ripple or EDR, with offices in New Orleans, Louisiana, and Washington, D.C. As Director of Interior Design, Jill brings over 20 years of national expertise in the design of commercial interiors, having practiced in Manhattan, Dallas, and New Orleans. She brings experience in a wide range of project types with a focus on workplace, hospitality, and mixed-use projects. An integral leader in countless project success stories, most notably Maya in Salt Lake City, Utah, the shop at the CAC, Palmasano Corporate Headquarters, and Tsunami New Orleans, Jill brings a holistic approach to the integration of interiors in EDR's projects that is warm, welcoming, and ultimately exceptionally thoughtful. 
In recognizing the complexity of the spaces that we create, Jill's role as Director of Interior Design cements not only the long-term growth of the firm and its work, but an investment in the team and the continued success of the Interiors Division. Tyler moved from Lafayette, Louisiana to pursue architecture at Tulane University. Studying and working during the rebuilding of New Orleans enhanced his understanding of progress and growth, now refined through the lenses of place, culture, history, and context. After serving as project architect for the Center of Developing Entrepreneurs, or CODE, a unique 215,000-square-foot multi-use space of collaboration, co-working, and corporate offices, Tyler's recent studio work is focused on feasibility studies for a range of higher education institutions, including at Tulane, LSU, and for Tulane School of Medicine and their migration to the former charity hospital. Tyler believes that designing is an act of giving, both to the public and to the client. Highly collaborative inside the studio and with EDR clients, he enjoys sharing his knowledge through tutorials and through teaching. He strives to push forward the use of advanced software to create architecture that is a register of our time and a reference to our place. The project we are going to chat about today is the Center of Developing Entrepreneurs, or CODE, in Charlottesville, Virginia. CODE is a new mixed-use project in downtown Charlottesville comprised of a new public plaza for the historic pedestrian mall and 215,000 square feet of multi-use space, including a strategic combination of co-working, office space, shared amenities, and retail. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com podcast. Recently recognized with the 2023 National AIA Honor Award for Architecture and Certified Lead Platinum, CODE is a signature building with an iconic architectural design by Associate Architects S.Q. Dumez-Ripple and Architect of Record Wolf Ackerman. The project was envisioned by CSH Development, which is led by a successful businessman and graduate of the University of Virginia who was seeking to give back to the community of Charlottesville. The problem that he was looking to solve was he saw a similar thing that you see in, in college towns all over is that brain drain after this super talented group of kids graduates and then they leave and they go all over the place. And so he was envisioning a place where people could come together and grow their careers and stay in Charlottesville and build up their professional life outside of school and, and, and keep them in the city. He was smart, I think, to think that it needed to be a place that drew on why Charlottesville itself was unique and special. Why are they not going to New York City? Why are they not going to Boston, Philadelphia, DC? And for him, it was nature. It was the connection to nature. He grew up on a farm and he was going to work in this building. So one of his initial prompts was he wanted to be able to walk out of his door of his office and feel like he was in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is just, I mean, the nature out there is incredible. And so that was just like an amazing prompt along with the call to create a place where young professionals could grow up and grow their their business ideas, grow their professional lives up in a building. Those were like the initial prompts that we were given. 
Code was intended to be a new work environment, public forum and collision space. A new version of Charlottesville, where individuals and innovative companies across demographics might meet in pursuit of a better future. We wanted to think about how could we how could we foster this cross-pollination that was a priority for the owner. And the program of the building is that the first two floors are more of a co-working, sort of like a WeWork model. There's also some public space that's open to everybody in the ground floor, and there's some amenity space that's open to everybody in the building. And then the upper floors, the third floor begins having small leasable suites, more manageable for smaller businesses. And then as you go up in the building, the footprints get bigger as these companies grow. So you, you end up having a stratus of all of the different kinds of levels of business. And the question was, how do we foster that collision and that cross-pollination? And so what we actually did was separate the elevator cores. There's an elevator core that comes up from the parking garage, and then it leaves you in the lobby. And then that lobby has people coming in from the outside using the space as sort of a coffee shop. It has people going to you know, starting the first day of their of their new business in their WeWork, sort of co-working sort of space. And then it has people going up to their penthouse suite, you know, and everything in between. And so by making everyone get off at the lobby and cross across and then get up to their second elevator tower that takes them wherever else they're going, there's a sort of inherent forced collision and, and activity in this central space. That was a big thing. And it also was, I remember, I think that was somebody in our office who wasn't working on the projects all the time, but we we do like these collaborative pinups that people can join in and we can you know, show progress and then get feedback and sketch together. And I think it was somebody outside of the, the strict design team who was like, hey, have you thought about if you do this and then you can have this corridor under the plaza and then yeah, it'll work out. And then everyone has to mix. It was really rewarding that that kind of came about that way. Yeah, the circulation, although intentional, was very confusing to wrap our heads around because it's like on one side of the building, you're on one floor, but on the other side of the building, you could be on a different floor, even though it's all connected. It was it was a little bit of some gymnastics. And then, you know, we had an exit stair that came down the exterior side of the building with glass on it and getting people to figuring out how to get the people to that and out the building was a big challenge. And I would say the back to kind of the idea of the slope, I mean, we're carved into the earth there, right? So some of the spaces had no windows, no access to to daylight. And so we had to get really creative in that co-working space on the first floor to make sure that everybody got a glimpse of the outdoors somehow or some sort of access to daylight. But it kind of worked out a little bit in the favor of that challenge because the owner, the developer is computer code writer of sorts. And so a lot of those folks like to be in the dark. You know, there was a question like, do we even need light fixtures in some of these rooms? Because they're just (laughs) going to keep them off anyway. And they don't need windows because they want to be in a cave. And we're like, well, all right, we got caves here. So it worked to the advantage in some spots. Built on a dramatic incline, the building changes scale at every facade. One side is three stories to maintain the vernacular of small shops lining a promenade. 
there are four stories on another, and then it turns an edge to grow to its apex of nine stories as the building moves downhill. So, first of all, there's there's 18 feet of elevation change on the site, and the site is a triangle. And we're based in New Orleans, and you know we don't have a ton of that vernacular here. Of eight, I don't think there's 18 feet of elevation change in the whole city here, but luckily, you know, we had a great partner architect that we want to make sure we mention here. We worked with Wolf Ackerman on the job, whose office is just down the street. And they're a super talented group of guys. And it was just like such a rewarding process to work with them. They really brought their rigor to this project. And it was great to design with them. It was, we designed this building before COVID and before lockdown, but we were already doing tons of Zoom calls and collaborative design with them over the internet. And then once we got into construction, they had a ton of, just a ton of craft and care about getting these details to actually work out that it was great to work with them and slog through all these things. But the elevation change was a big deal. And then the triangular site, we ended up with a sort of two bars of the building that are exactly 38.5 degrees apart. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that angle. But it, we wanted to maximize the goals that we had set out, which off of the bat, we looked at the site and immediately one of the big moves that we made was actually making the floor plate narrower than what the site could have borne. We made the, these two bars skinnier so that it would free up and we kept things at the property line so that it would free up open space in the middle. This project is on the historic pedestrian mall. It used to be their main street and Charlottesville had the foresight to turn that into a pedestrian mall, which is a great outdoor experience. And this project bookends that pedestrian mall that has a lot of a spillover plazas connected to it with really gracious tree canopies. So immediately, one of the things that we set up as a priority was to take, take a slight hit to leasable square footage with these narrower floor plates and free up space in the middle to create another one of these plazas for the city. And then work with the intrinsic benefits of all of that activity to make more valuable real estate that we did create inside the building. The narrower floor plates also create better condition for daylight and views. There's more daylight that gets into the floor plate. And then there's also a chance for cross ventilation with the operable windows that we got into the project. While topographically and sectionally complex, the building is straightforward in plan. A-shaped, with its taller side parallel to the street grid, its shorter side at an angle to it, and a two-story bridge connecting the two. The exterior was inspired by the brick cladding and punched window openings of the surrounding historic buildings. Its iron spot, velour brick, is the finish and it has more ferrous in it, ferrous material in it. So it, it sheens and it, and it catches the light differently depending on what angle it's at. And, and working with this triangular building, we were anticipating the way that it would change throughout the day, but also like looking at it straight on. It wanted to be the same treatment because the geometry was so intense that variation in how the material reacts to light be what changes. So if you look at it from where the two bars come together, it's all the same material, but you see diff it looks 
totally different because of that, because of how the light is hitting it. You know, Charlottesville is a red brick town. We weren't not aware of that and took a lot of talk to, to think about, is this the right thing to do? Ultimately, we did a lot of mock-ups and it's this crazy story where the owner came down to the mock-up one day and saw these particular bricks and it reminded him of the dirt. He grew up on a farm outside Charlottesville and it reminded him of the dirt from his farm. And from then on, it was like, this is what we're going with. So the whole way around is a blend of two different kinds of bricks. There's a, there's a dark gray and then there's a redder kind of brick in that pattern. And then uh, the top band is metal panel, obviously. The facade boasts a modern rain screen that offers high levels of insulation and thermal performance. We had really high energy efficiency goals for this project. And so a commitment to continuous insulation was where we started. And consistency with that detailing was a really worthwhile set of problems to solve. And I think it came through all the way through construction and through CA working things out in the field and, and getting the team behind the, the benefits of what happens whenever you make every make sure everything is wrapped up. Technically, it's the solid portions of the building are built out of insulated metal panels with a integral carrier rail that the rest of the facade hangs off of. It provides really great thermal breaks and a really tight envelope because it's insulation and weather barrier all rolled into one. And then the facade has some freedom outside of that. It also gains depth inherently to allow for these windows to be shaded, self-shaded as the day progresses, cutting down on that direct solar gain on the glass that we do have. So speaking of the pattern, so there's a range of this, but we as architects, it's a question of how much are we we're recording the things, the aspects of the, the priorities of the project and the, and the building and the owners and the groups bringing these things to life. How much are we recording that and setting it into stone and steel and glass? And how much are we actively informing of what that kind of a building should be like? And so this project was amazing because the recording the, the passions and the priorities that this owner had was directly in line with what we wanted to say about how buildings like this should be. To me, I think we've we've got a tripartite building, the concept of the three layers, the palazzo block, the traditional European style of splitting a building into three horizontal layers. Whereas, but what I like about this is that I think we're inverting it. I think we're showing what this group's version of the tripartite should be. Whereas like instead of having the piano rustico at the bottom, that's like a fortress, you know, to to keep the peasants out, you know, and and things get more delicate up above, it's inverted where we put our most delicate material, our glass on the ground floor, and we show that openness, that accessibility, that we provide opportunities for, for collision, and we, we show what can be accessed inside this building immediately to the public, to everybody else in the building. And then as you go up, our brick section and our metal panel section, this being spec office, we thought best that we provide a uniform facade treatment so that the units could be as regular as possible. And by staggering the windows, which is actually like pretty difficult to figure out because of the loading patterns, but by staggering the windows and by working with this rigorous pattern of fins around the building and tying everything together, we're talking about the architecture weaves together. And this building is about weaving 
people together, ideas together, and people from all different kinds of businesses coming together. So that was our inspiration for that. And it took a lot to make sure that was followed through and it needed to be rigorous and it needed to have buy-in from the whole team to get it actually realized. But I think we got there. Within the building, a variety of spaces support a vibrant community of entrepreneurs, thinkers, inventors, and artists. At the ground level, glazing reveals the activity inside. We played a lot on this idea of cut and contrast and reveal. And so, you know, using in the lobby space in particular, where we carved into the core, we would reveal a slightly different material or a different application of that material from the outside of that core box. So like there's this little jewel box of a coffee shop that's nestled in that big core and the materials change within that. And I thought that was really interesting. But also when you talk about the collision, like how do you create a space that people actually want to hang out in? And one of the things that was a focus for us was making this feel a little bit more like a hospitality, like a hotel's lobby versus just an office lobby. So bringing in lots of warm materials, a little bit, you know, things that might seem a little more higher end, a little more tactile, making sure the even down to the furniture that it felt a little bit more like what you might find um, in a hotel to, to encourage people to linger a little bit and to have their meetings in that space. So it becomes more than just that transient space, but it becomes something that you want to sit and work for an hour or two in. When you get into the co-working space in particular, with the owner, we had the opportunity to take some of his digital, there were digital artwork images that came from his coding. We took them and put them across the backs of a, the phone booth that we designed and kind of cut the artwork into little slices of that, you know, into those phone booths. And so it was really, it was unique and to this building because, you know, that's nowhere else. And we took other opportunities to do some unique wall coverings that were directly related to Charlottesville and the area, like huge topographical maps and things like that. We did have something that we actually called the cave, and it was this little tiny place underneath our treehouse. In the cave, we used mirrors on the ceiling, put them at certain angles, and that way it kind of felt like you had transported into a totally different universe of sorts, but also helped make the room feel a little bit bigger or that it was expansive above you, even though the ceilings were probably, what, seven and a half feet tile or something like that. But above that, we had this tree house, which was a little place you could, it was in the co-working space in particular, and you could go up there and there was some lounge seating and there were some desks, but you could have a bird's eye view of the rest of the co-working space, which was really fun and unique. One of the many remarkable elements that caught my eye was the seating in the auditorium, where wood and gray finishes are accentuated against a vibrant red carpet that dresses each level of the tiered space. These seats are called Jump Seat from Cedia Systems Inc. and designed by Zeba Design. It is a compact seating solution with an incredibly low profile, folding to less than four inches thick when not in use. When engaged, the seat expresses a unique cantilevered and curved profile. Yeah, those are jump seats. 
and very cool because they don't take up a lot of space when they're not engaged and they have a very nice detailing to them. But that was one of the spaces what I was talking about is when you're on the first floor and you get to one side of the building, you're in the auditorium, but you can also get to the auditorium from the second floor as well. So it's like you could actually pass through there to get to, from one space to the next. But the vision for that was that they could have multiple types of functions in there. So it could be anything from, you know, a musical performance of sorts to a movie screening to a lecture series. Just, you know, what what ways can they program that to really involve the community, engage the community and make the space more accessible to everyone? So, you know, we rolled out the red carpet in there for sure. That's the only place in the project that we use that really intense red color. And that was actually the client's suggestion. So it was a, the right call for that room. Beyond the hospitality level interiors, code also creates a dynamic and healthy work environment that emphasizes principles of wellness and sustainability within the workplace. We had a, a lead consultant who we worked very closely with, you know, obviously targeting on the interior that I can speak to some of that in terms of lighting, materials, and things like that, trying to meet a lot of the standards that are set in lead. But because a good bit of the building was just office, tenant office space that was left white boxed, you know, we didn't necessarily get into a lot of that on the upper floors so much. One thing, the operable windows was a a feature that had gotten VE'd out of the project and then COVID hit and it was put back into the project after COVID or during COVID. And so that was, you know, obviously something that goes towards the air quality of the building. And we were really excited that we were able to add that back as a feature. One of the other priorities for the owner was fresh air. His office was in a building that was suffering from sick building syndrome while we were designing the building. And it was like front of mind for them. And so the building was designed to, off the bat, deliver twice as much fresh air as was needed. It's a DOAS system with fan coil units dispersed around around the building, and it has a central chiller on the site. So we got the exemplary performance for that particular credit, but we were going beyond that anyway because it was just such a high priority for them. And when you go to the building, the first time I went to the building with the air conditioning turned on for a site visit, it was like you could feel it. It felt so fresh like in there and there was just like this really nice breeze, but it was still an efficient system with the DOAS and being able to use it across the whole building gained efficiency. Yeah, the operable windows was a great thing to add back on top of all that because that's even more. The system is really efficient, but then you don't even have to use it on the days when the weather is nice. And I just remember it it was a super nice spring. Jill, do you remember that in New Orleans in spring of 2020? When we were all working at home, it was just amazing weather every day. And I remember having, I have a 20 foot wide shotgun house and I remember having the windows open and getting that cross ventilation, working on this building while we were putting together the, the documentation of what it would take to get those operable windows back. And I was just like, we got to do this. This is the way. In addition, the building incorporates a series of accessible green roofs. We have green roofs that you can walk out on as the building steps down, the massing steps down to match the historic 
massing of the pedestrian mall. And then you can walk out onto these onto these roof decks. So we've got raised planters, we've got planters down at your feet, and then we've got pedestal pavers, wood pedestal pavers. Underneath all that is a cavity of space that can hold water and slowly drain it to a cistern in the parking garage below. And then during dry times, that's used for pump backup and used for irrigation. So that was one of the water use was one of the aspects we went for for lead. So the topmost level, you can actually get up there and that's where the owner's, the owner's office is on the top level. And so I think he's got, I think he's got a special key to go up there. The views up there are amazing. In a building with so many great moments, I was curious what Tyler and Jill's favorite spaces were. One of my favorite parts, which there's, I don't know if there's many pictures of because it was really hard to photograph, but in addition to that cave space I described underneath the treehouse, there's this little secret uh, conference room and it's very unexpected and it has trim and molding details that are a little more classic and the furniture is a little more classic, but then it's paired with exposed light bulbs on the ceiling and it's all concrete. You're like in a bunker almost. And the door is really fancy and has reeded glass and a big handle. And it's just the experience of discovering that and going in there, I think is really cool. And I hope, you know, it's just one of those things that isn't going to get put on the websites and, but it's something that once you're a member of the co-working and you discover it, I think it'll be quite a nice little surprise. This design for collision and mixing spaces is great and it brings people together. But in the back of my head, sometimes I'm worried about the space for introverts, you know, in our buildings and, and where do they go? And there's a few, like Jill said about the cave and, and conference room, there's, there's some that aren't exactly photographed, but there are amazing little moments where we, we had a second to just think about it. And it's like, wouldn't it be great to have a little booth there? Jill, I'm thinking about that booth that overlooks back onto Main Street. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Another thing is we were having a tough conversation one day with the owner and uh, the owner's rep and the, the contractor team and working through something. I can't even remember what it was, but I called the owner's rep and it was later on into the project. I called the owner's rep after to catch up and just like figure out what we needed to do next. And he was like, Tyler, don't worry about it, man. I just went outside. I'm in the roof garden. I'm sitting here. And there's bees, man. There's bees. <laughs> the bees are back. It's all going to be okay. Like, don't worry. Like, we're going to be fine. And so like, it was, that was the moment when it like flipped over, like, oh my God, all these little tiny battles, but this thing is almost done and, and it's going to be great when it gets open. So. Now, when it comes to the work that we do, construction is the point where we truly learn lessons and adjustments need to be made. We originally had gyp ceilings in our restrooms and we needed to make them accessible. And that something happened with the, the HVAC system that maybe it was we were going to have so many access panels in it or something didn't get built as we'd originally thought it was going to get built. And so we had to scramble and come up with a new ceiling type. And so now every project that I go through I bring that up when any when I see a gyp ceiling, even though I, I you know the idea of a two by two acoustic tile, which is not what we did in this project. We 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 have 
a little bit more money to spend than that. But, you know, I never want to suggest that, which is a lot, it's the go-to for a lot of lower end projects that, you know, let's get creative. Let's figure out how can we find, let's find an accessible ceiling that meets all the requirements of a restroom, but that looks, looks good too. So I, I always preach about no boring bathrooms in the office because I think it's a it's a place for respite. So why should it not get a little love too? So it's just something that I've been taking with me to the next project is is what what other options are there besides chip and acoustic tile? That's a perfect example of answering that question. What did you end up doing? We ended up doing a metal p- paneled ceiling. So it met the wipeable, but it was also uh, accessible. How about you, Tyler? If you handled more of CA, you've got to have something good for me. We wanted to do board form concrete. We wanted to have that board form concrete in a piece of the co-working space, but we didn't have a great spec for it. And we kind of, we'd used it a couple of times and then we were asking around at the office and people were like, yeah, well, we just said board form. And then like in the field, we or like every time it was different, we figured it out a different way. Or like we had this one guy who knew how to do it in the field and then he just did it. I was running around trying to like figure out what can I tell them to do that. And, you know, it being built during COVID, we weren't able to travel there as much as possible. And then one day they were going out on site and this building preserved an existing historic facade for part of it. That's along the downtown mall. So they had, scaffolding set up and and the big anchoring scaffolding bracing set up and they were going to meet about the board front concrete and the guys at wolf ackerman passed by with the owner's rep the big anchor concrete piece of concrete anchor that was holding the building like ballast and it was made out of rough board form and they were like that just the owner was like that just do that can we just do that so like we're trying to figure out this technical language that we need to put into a document in order to do things. And then the other part of the team is just out there and they're like, Hey, can we just call this guy that made this piece of, you know, temporary concrete and just, let's just get them to do it. You know? And it was like, Oh man. And then by the time we get this board form spec figured out, it's going to be out of style and then no one will want to do it in their buildings anymore. (laughs) Before we close out the episode, I like to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I was curious what Tyler and Jill saw as areas that we can improve. Something that we've been talking about a lot in our office lately is how we do our work, how we collaborate. So the remote factor, the hybrid collaboration, how can we make that work for all generations? Because you have folks like me who are kind of in the middle still a little bit, but there's folks that have been around a lot longer than me that are used to their pen and pad of paper and sketching in person and things like that. And so how can technology, how can we get our technology in particular up to speed with what we need in order to do let the, the folks who want to use the pen and paper, how can they still do that? But it works for the folks that are remote in that hybrid collaboration scenario. And so, you know, we haven't figured it all out yet. Some of us are a little more stubborn than others when it comes to that. And so, you know, we don't know what the right answer is, but it goes back to, you know, that 
we've always done it that way, your, your pet peeve. We've always done it that way and it's worked really well, but how do we take the new tools that we have and do it even better or just do it differently? I don't know that it's better. It's just different. And so not everybody's as easily flexible with that change. And so I think the biggest challenge is people being flexible and adaptable to a new way of collaborating. So my, my first year of college was 2008. And so pretty soon after I started my freshman year, the recession kicked in really. And the amount of people that were in the profession who were like in their 30s in architecture then totally went down, right? And so it has felt at times, and I'm really happy to be at the place that I'm at now, but it has felt at times that there's a there's a gap there, that cohort directly above me, those folks are really rare. But the priority that we put on mentorship, like Jill was talking about, is the kind of thing that I wish that I think needs to happen everywhere and being intentional about the way that we work and the, the bedrock of just blocking and tackling skills that people sort of at my age need to gain, needs to be there first so that we can then step out of our comfort zone from a stable place and push push things and push the envelope. And I think the biggest challenge of our time is just question about carbon and what we do and how our profession changes. And it's a whole different it's a whole different conversation like this, but it's it's woven into everything. And what we're gonna need to shift about is focusing on it needs to have a higher priority in the million different things that go into making design decisions. It just needs to further and further be put into the forefront. And I don't know how we do this, but working with clients to figure out how do we not just build, but build only exactly what we need, because everything that we build emits carbon right now. And how do we work with them analytically to be able to understand, to, to use buildings more so that we need less of them. And it's a, to me, it's a cultural shift and it's an industry-wide thing that goes beyond architecture. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jill and Tyler. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. If we're gonna stay we need to think about things just the right amount and we need to spend our time on things like this to get the results that we that we want to 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 better people's lives just as important as overthinking it is then like taking a second bringing it back to the central idea distilling it down to communicate it effectively to other people i think it's it's our it's like our profound responsibility to do the homework and to sweat the details and to pour our passion into it. But you have to be just as passionate about empathetically thinking about how this is going to read to someone else to make that connection. And it's like a sense of respect to be able to take the time to communicate clearly to people what you, what you're trying to get across. And I think if we're going to take that hard stand and say, we're, we're here thinking about things intensely for you. We also need to be very intentional about how we how we put things together and, and present it. You know, when I became an interior designer, the first projects that I was working on were all workplace and office. And it amazed me how many sad, dark, 
inefficient, unpleasant office spaces that I went to. And, you know, that's where people were spending a good part of their day. And so it may, you know, it in just coming up with a few simple changes or suggestions could completely change how that person's day or how their space was impacting their day. So for me, it's yes, it's definitely not about anything worldwide, but it's more about the things that I do can impact individual people's lives. You know, whether that be in the way that we design their office space or if it is for a hotel or a restaurant and it's more about, you know, it's giving people a place for respite and enjoying their loved ones. How is it that what I do can impact people's well-being and their daily lives? And I think that's important and it seems small and they probably don't even know I'm doing it half the time. And maybe that's what's special about it is that you're kind of in the background and, and they don't even notice how much improvement they have in their daily lives because of decisions or design solutions that we've come up with. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.